close of our service, uh, we will sing from hymn 12, which is entitled, Exalt the Lord, His Praise Proclaim. And in that hymn, uh, we will sing, and we have sung before these words, I know the Lord is high in state. Above all gods, our Lord is great. The Lord performs what he decrees in heaven and earth, in depths and seas. He makes the vapors to ascend in clouds from earth's remotest end. The lightnings flash at his command. He holds the tempest in his hand. We will sing those words. We have sung those words before. And I ask us, do we believe those words? Do we believe the truth behind those words? That the lightnings flash at his command and that he holds the tempest, the sea, the wind, the waves in his hand. Uh, Who causes the storms of life? Who's behind it? Who governs calamity in the world? Disease, death. Who holds these things in his hand? Our Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 3 on the decrees of God states this, God from his holy and wise counsel has ordained, that is, determined whatsoever comes to pass. Not some things, it is whatsoever comes to pass has been ordained by the Lord. Uh, Those are words that reflect many passages in Scripture, including Paul's words to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.11, that in him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The teaching of God's sovereignty or God's providence, that is, his supreme rule, over his governance of all things, most of the time, for many of us, is simply a doctrine wonderful to study, to consider, to meditate upon. But in the midst of calamity or hardship in life or disease or troubled waters, it is a foundation upon which to stand, upon which to build one's life. It becomes a tower uh, for refuge. And indeed, right now, all around the world, at varying levels, people are seeking to live and navigate these troubled waters, these troubled waters as a result of this coronavirus. Uh, It's really amazing the size, the massive catastrophic effect that it has had. Uh, Just this past week, early on last week, I read that there was uh, an over 50% drop Uh, In airline travel, I would expect that will continue, uh, even worsen. Uh, We know entire countries have sealed off their borders. Some are on a nationwide lockdown. Students have been sent home. Businesses have closed. Uh, I read on a single day last week in Italy, 3,500 new cases of the virus were reported and nearly 400 deaths in one day in Italy. Uh, The Christian author Al Mohler said this, Right now we are witnessing a humbling of a civilization that believed itself to be largely in control of the world, impervious to this kind of threat. Uh, That's natural human thinking, that we have more control than we actually do. 
And we have read, we have heard in the last days, the last weeks, state officials, civil leaders, health experts providing direction, aid, help, and we're thankful for it in how to handle the crisis. And yet, in the midst of that, for me, and I'm sure for many of us, larger questions have surfaced. What's the purpose of this? Is there a purpose behind it? What is God's purpose behind this worldwide cloud or calamity? Does he have control of it? What does it reveal about God himself? What does it teach us about the world, this world in which we live? Upon what do I rest my hope in life and in death? Where really is my security uh, found? Where do we find our security? What does it mean to live in a world that oftentimes seems out of sorts? The spreading of this virus uh, certainly reminds us of man's limitations, but I think it is also a window into the reality of the kind of world in which we live all the time. It is a window and reminder of that kind of world. We live in a world full of calamity and full of suffering and indeed full of death. The numbers and statistics about death itself are uh, staggering. Every year, about 60 million people die. Every year. Most of those people do not come to the end of life with a sense of mere peace or physical rest or ease or quiet. It's oftentimes with pain and suffering. Every hour in the very course of time in which we worship this morning, in one hour, 6,000 people will have died around the world. Every minute, over 100 people die. Every day... Tens of thousands, tens of thousands of children die under the age of five from malaria, malnutrition, pneumonia. Then there's ongoing conflicts around the world, bringing fear, worry, anxiety, all kinds of trouble to people's lives, disrupting any normalcy to life. And still, the Christian sings those words, He holds the tempest in his hand. The Christian sings, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Why is the world the way it is? Is anyone asking that question as a result of what we are experiencing? It's interesting, the same presence of suffering and hardship will lead some people to reject faith, to question any ultimate purpose to life. But for others, that same suffering will be used to awaken life and to awaken faith. And indeed, we pray for that in these circumstances in which we find ourselves. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the late Russian novelist and scientist, as a result of Uh, During World War II, opposing and criticizing Stalin, he was sentenced to a labor camp for a number of years. And later in his life, he reflected on that time in the labor camp and the suffering that he endured. And he wrote these words. He said, It was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. 
Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line of separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. I nourished my soul there, and I say without hesitation, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Rather than crushing his soul, suffering actually helped to awaken it. In the midst of sorrow and pain, he could say, bless you, prison. In the midst of pain and sorrow and uncertainty, there can be blessing. There can even be rejoicing. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How is that? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How can that be? For one, it can be because our hearts are complex as people. We can have sorrow and we can have joy almost simultaneously. We can live in sorrowful circumstances, hard circumstances, but have joy because we know our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. I know I have felt and I've witnessed sorrow and joy at the very same time uh, walking into hospital rooms on more than one occasion, a couple of occasions, into a hospital room or into a care facility having been called by a church member who has a loved one coming to the very end of their life. And just minutes after entering into the room, after the person had passed away, the family members are gathered around that bed. Their loved one physically is no longer there. And they're crying, and there's sorrow, and there's tears. And then in just a couple minutes later, there's laughing. There's laughter. There's joy. Why? Because someone is remembering something the person had said, an experience that they enjoyed together. And so it's with tears running down people's faces that there's, at the same time, laughter and joy. We can have both sorrow and joy simultaneously. We live in a world of sorrow, but we rejoice. Our hope and trust is in the Lord. And it's into that painful sorrowful, seemingly uncertain world that the biblical authors wrote the pages of Scripture. The Bible was not written into a rose-colored world. It was written in a world full of famine, suffering, war, and trial. And it's this kind of world that reminds us of the sure foundation of our hope and trust. And so I want to draw a few points from Proverbs chapter 3 and what this wise sage tells us in whom we should trust. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, so very familiar words to us. The scripture says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It's during hard times in our lives that uh, we learn what trust really means, and we learn what it is that we are actually trusting in. 
And in Scripture, we learn that trust is not mere intellectual assent or agreement merely with a propositional truth. It starts there, but it goes beyond. We remember the Apostle James' words in James 2. You, you believe that the Lord is one. You, you believe, you trust that the Lord is one. Good, but even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Trust goes beyond understanding in our minds to a place of confidence, dependence upon the Lord for all of life. And you can see it there in Proverbs 3, verse 5, that trust goes beyond mental assent with what the wise sage says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With your whole personhood, trust in Him. Notice each of the statements here in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are really dispositions of faith. Trusting in, leaning upon, acknowledging someone or something. And human beings, by nature, the way that they were created, are people who lean, who trust, who acknowledge. But the question is, upon what do I trust? What am I leaning upon? What am I acknowledging in life for direction, understanding, wisdom, and purpose? Trusting in the Lord. It sounds wonderful, a good idea, until the circumstances of life really shake you and it becomes evident just what it is I've been trusting in for security, for joy, or for real peace. And the reason that trusting one's life in the Lord is wise is because it is the Lord. You see the name, Lord, in all capitals. This is the divine name of God, right? Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Creator who has made all things. This is the one who, from eternity past, set in motion a plan of redemption. The Scripture says this is the one through whom He holds all things together. This is the God who speaks through Isaiah in Isaiah 45 and says this, I am the Lord, there is no other. From the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. Hear these words, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God's hand, God's control, God's authority, His will, does not preside only over the good. God is not the one who merely brings good out of evil. God creates well-being and calamity. Here's how the Heidelberg Catechism, another of our Reformed Confessions and Catechisms defines God's providence, His governance over all things. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds as with His hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from His fatherly hand. 
Again, notice the emphasis. It's not merely that God brings good out of troubling circumstances, but all things come from His fatherly hand. They're recognizing what sovereignty is about. Who is the ultimate cause, whether by intent, will, permission, brings about all things. This is the Lord in whom the wise sage of Proverbs calls us to trust. Trust in the Lord. And I want us to consider just a few of the biblical categories that the Scriptures provide us with in which God has providence or sovereignty over. For one, He is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign over nations. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, it says, You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. That is, rulers, kings, nations do nothing that God does not purpose. Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. It's not just the nations, though. It's also the smallest of details in life. Those things that seem insignificant and very small. Matthew 10, verse 29. This is the words of Jesus, who says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. The death of one sparrow. It's not only known by the mind of God, It only happens as a result of God's intent. You have the nations in which He is ruling over, the seemingly insignificant. But He is also sovereign over what appears as chance in life. Random occurrences. Proverbs 16, verse 33, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. When you roll the dice, you draw the straws, it seems random what those numbers come up as. Even that is ordained and determined by the Lord Himself. What seems random, casting of lots, yet the outcome is actually directed by God. But it's not just the appearance of randomness. The very purposes of man, His will, His decision, His intent from His heart is ultimately ordained by God. Consider these other Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Man is planning. He is living. But his direction is ultimately determined by the Lord. Proverbs 19, verse 21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 21, 1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Certainly we cannot fully grasp how human beings as free agents can exercise their own will, their own volition, their own decisions, and at the same time, God is ordaining and determining the very outcome of these things. But we see it 
And we see it most clearly in Scripture in the very crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, as he's preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, says in verse 22, Men of Israel, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 4, two chapters later. In this one act, the event of the cross, we see the will and the hand of evil men carried out, putting forth to crucify the Son of God, and yet we see it's according to the definite plan of God. The same act, man is exercising his will, but God is determining the outcome. And we see God's sovereign hand over nature. Psalm 135, verse 6 and 7. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. We remember in Matthew chapter 8, amidst the calming of the raging sea, uh, the men ask, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Wind, waves, light, darkness, peace, calamity, health and sickness, life and death, nature, disaster. God rules over all. Ultimately, it is from his fatherly hand. Why such a world? Why would God cause, permit such a world full of uncertainty, suffering, sickness? We can look at that through man's rebellion, through the sin of man, or we can look at it through the providence and sovereignty of God. I think it is in part because of, for example, what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That is, for God's purpose to display God's grace, he set in motion a plan, a plan to create a world, a plan to have that world fall into ruin and rebellion, unrest, disaster, uncertainty, suffering. So that this would be a world that would be the environment and the setting for God to display His marvelous attributes, His glory, His power, His justice, His judgment, His mercy and grace. His saving power for His people. Before the ages began to display His grace. That we would not trust in ourselves. That we would not trust in our own understanding. But that we would express what the Apostle Paul expresses in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Trust in the Lord, this God, with all your heart. And then Proverbs says, do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, these are words 
for many Christians, so well known, it's easy, easy to read over them and to miss and see how counterintuitive and how countercultural they really are. What does it mean to not lean on your own understanding? Don't lean on your own understanding. First of all, we should be reminded that the Scripture puts up no wall between trusting God, having faith in God, and the use of our reason. There's no wall between trusting God and reason. Trust and faith is not what is picked up and used when reason leaves off and can't go there. Rather, true wisdom... True understanding finds its foundation in the knowledge and understanding of God himself. It's his mind, his intellect, upon which we are to rest our mind and our intellect. That's reasonable. That's the wise thing to do. And notice this word lean. Leaning is something that you do when the ground seems shaky. When life throws you off balance, when you're feeling like you're losing strength, when you're not sure why something is happening, uh, when the course of life seems to be taking you a different route, you begin to lean. What do we lean upon? Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of hiking and summiting uh, Mount Washington in the winter with two other men uh, in the church. If you don't know a lot about Mount Washington, uh, it can be a dangerous mountain. Um, Although now it may be one of the safest places to be rather than here, I'm not sure. Uh, But as we set out, we had our poles for hiking, for walking. We had an ice axe for climbing. We had crampons to put on our boots for secure footing. These are all tools that we took with us for balance, for safety, for secure Footing, But perhaps one of the greatest dangers, of course, on Mount Washington are the winds. I don't think it's unusual for there to be sustained winds of 50, 70, or 90 miles an hour. In fact, we had to cancel uh, two previous uh, times that we planned to go because of high winds. I have read that the highest recorded winds on on top of Mount Washington were 231 miles an hour. 231 miles an hour. When the winds of life throw you off balance, that's when you don't reach for a wisp of smoke. You don't reach for an elusive vapor. You reach for something secure, something that will hold you, a foundation, a platform upon which you can stand secure. To lean is an act of trust. It's an act of faith. Yes, we plan our ways. This is what the proverbial wisdom says elsewhere in chapter 16. We plan our ways, but it is God who determines our steps. And it's that kind of humility that rescues the people of God from trying to control their own destiny, trying to control their own life path. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in God's. Kevin DeYoung, author and Christian pastor, wrote these words, Nothing has been left to chance. Every economic downturn, every novel virus, every oncology report, 
has been sent to us from the God who sees all things, plans all things, loves us more than we know. As children of our Heavenly Father, divine providence is always for us and never against us. Joseph's imprisonment seemed pointless, but it makes sense now. Slavery in Egypt makes sense now. The death of the Messiah makes sense now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And then he says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. That word acknowledge is an important one throughout the Scriptures. And to know the Lord has a particular emphasis in the prophetic books. Jeremiah 9.23 Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man boast in his might or the rich man in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. We read those words, to know God, uh, to, to have a knowledge of God, it really means to acknowledge Him. It's not just merely knowing about Him, knowing about his character, knowing about his steadfast love. It is more a recognition, an awareness, a turning toward God. And then we have the superlatives in this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. There's not to be any fiefdom, no private area in our lives in which we are still holding control, maintaining control. It's all His. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, in your time, in your relationships, in the trials that you face, in the use of your money, in your speech, in your school, in your work. Acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He says... in. He will make straight your paths. Straight paths. This last week, I've had a handful of conversations with people in which the question was surfaced, do you think any good will come out of our present circumstances with the coronavirus? And I didn't say anything out loud, but in my, in my mind I thought, do, do, do we know, do, does this person know the God of the Bible? Is there any question at all about the good that God is and will do through all and any circumstances? Our God is the one who makes crooked paths straight. In fact, it's times like these that the evidences of God's hand are oftentimes most prominent. That requires trust. How will God be working in innumerable ways, strengthening His church, sanctifying His people, Causing his people to, de to desire gathering together. But I want us to notice something about these straight paths. They are particularly for his people. Trust in the Lord. It's for those who are trusting in the Lord, those who are acknowledging him. It's for them that God makes straight their paths. This is New Testament language. Now, this, is, this is language of Romans chapter 8. We know this verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, 
All things, we've seen this in numerous passages, we've sung it this morning, all things work together for good for those called according to his purpose. Isn't it interesting? It's actually the opposite of the way most people think about God. So many people think God does some good things for all people. God works some good things out of this world generally for all people. But it's actually the opposite. It's the opposite of what the scripture emphasizes. Paul says God works all things for the good of his people, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not some good for all people. It's all good. It's all good for his people. He makes straight the paths for his church. God is, God will be working through this time, through our troubles and trials, for our good, for the sanctification of his people, for the strengthening of his church. As we come to a close, I just want to offer a few comments. One is an encouragement to you, a challenge perhaps this week. I want to encourage you sometime this week to send a letter, to write and send a letter to another fellow brother or sister in Christ, uh, perhaps to a married couple, perhaps to an individual, but to someone in our church. Send a letter with words of encouragement during this time. And I would encourage you to write it. You could type it, but mail it. Don't email it, mail it. Right? This is a great time to go an extra step and express words of encouragement, support, uh, love toward a brother or sister or family in Christ. Do that this week, especially as we find ourselves uh, dispersed um, at this time. Secondly, I just want to note that uh, we are continuing to minister and serve here. The, the office is open. There have been people who have stopped by the church. Uh, we are taking proper hygiene. Uh, there have been some smaller groups uh, with discretion, meeting, uh, praying, but uh, if there's anything that anyone needs, uh, the office is open. You can call, uh, email, or text myself or uh, Pastor Bill at the church office. And then lastly, I would say, uh, have and pray for eyes of faith, to see God's hand at work. Uh, the goal of this time in the life of his people is not to merely get through it. it, it, it that's not the goal. Lord, just simply bring me through this time there's a deeper goal to see God at work, to be used in this very time, uh, to be used by the Lord for the blessing of his kingdom. Let's pray to him. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word that calls us to trust in you, that calls us not to lean upon our own understanding. Lord, we recognize our own limitations and weaknesses but Lord, you have all power, all might. All things come from your fatherly hand, O Lord. And yes, indeed, there are mysteries in it. But you are providential, governing and carrying out your ends for your glory and majesty and for our good. We thank you, O Lord, for calling us to yourself, for giving us sure and wonderful promises, promises of life, of peace, of joy, as we rest in you. And we pray that, Lord, even with this uh, providence that you are unfolding, that you would unite us together, 
Even though we may be physically dispersed, Lord, give us one heart, one mind. Lord, one resolve to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to your word, to love one another, O Lord, as you have loved us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.